Our scripture reading this morning is from the the, uh, Gospel according to John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time to his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're in the gospel according to John, just for a few minutes. We'll pick up this passage again next week, but turn with me to John 3. Uh, that passage was read earlier. There are Bibles in the back. I'll have the verses up so you can follow along with me. In this church, we do expository preaching. We go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We start at the beginning of the book, and we work through the text. The Gospel according to John, the invisible made visible, is our uh, study for the next probably 10 months or so. And I think it's a perfect text this morning, as Chris read it, um, about baptism, really. And it kind of connects to what has been going on as you just witnessed these baptisms You heard the testimony, and each one of them, if you think about it, each one of them really speaks to us about this new birth. Noah talked about a time in which he he, laid down his life and received the Lord Jesus, and things changed. You heard testimony after testimony, because where there is new life, there is faith. And where there is faith, there is new life. And all of it comes through the gift, a gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Baptism is a picture of that gospel. They go into the water, they stand, they go down into water, they come up out of the water, and it is a picture of the gospel. Jesus Christ on the cross died, was buried in the grave, and three days later rose again, and they're identifying with him, with him and his church in their baptisms. That's what this passage is all about. John, in the first chapters, particularly chapter 2, and chapter 1 speaks about this new birth, this new creation. He does it with clues. In chapter 1, he talks about um, he was made from the beginning. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made. In him was life. Chapter 1, verse 13. Born not of the will of man, but born of God. So he's speaking about this new birth, this new creation in chapters 1 and 2. And now in chapter 3... He gives us much more clarity. He's bolder. He's more succinct about what the scriptures call new birth. Born again. New creation. New life. Regeneration. If you remember in chapter 1, 4, he says that he is the life. And in chapter 1, verse 13, the Bible says that all those who believe, all those who have trusted Christ have not done it by their own will, but again, been born of God. There's this legitimacy that he speaks about that we receive to become children of God, that's been born of God, new creation. In fact, the Apostle John, who wrote this New Testament gospel, um, 
in 1 John, in one of his letters, he writes, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practiced righteousness has been born of him. He used that term a lot, born of him. Born from above. Born again. Born anew. We're not talking about perfect lifestyle. Nobody come up out of this water, and now they've got this halo around their head, unless you saw it. I didn't see it. You know, it's not perfection. It's talking about a changed life. It's talking about a life that is no longer seeking their own will. They're convicted about sin. They're, they're walking in newness. And every day, little by little, some people more fast than others, they're growing in the likeness of Christ. 1 John 4, again, same apostle. Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever love has been born of God. 1 John 5, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not continue Living in sin, but he who has been born of God protects him. The evil one does not touch him. Again, not perfection, but there's a conviction. What I used to do and what I love to do, I no longer want to do. We're going to talk about that. And it's interesting, if you look at the text, he uses this term, born of God, born again, as something that has happened to someone, and we'll talk about this more next week, but there's always this radical internal transformation of the heart where things become differently as they came up out of the water. I said, walk in newness of life. There's a change going on. There's a direction change going on. Now, anybody here of Barna Group? Barna Group is a research company, a very well good, you know, very well established research company. And they do uh, research and they do questions. They ask people questions. They do the data and the question, when they ask a born-again Christian, born-again Christian, they say the criteria for being born again is this. You have made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ, and he's still important to you that day that they call you and ask you. And also, lastly, they say they indicate each born-again Christian that they believe that when they die, they'll go to heaven because they had confessed their sins and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, that may be true, but it's not enough. You see, it's from this side of heaven in which they speak. Things that they have done, not what God has done. And the idea of new birth has been, let's say, spoken about in many different areas, not just religion. In 2013, Volkswagen announced their new Golf automobile. It was called, you know, the Golf Born Again Experience. In December, excuse me, in December 1999, there was an album that was very well-received with the rap and the hip-hop scene. In 1999, this album was released. Um, it was, it was uh, uh, older songs from someone named Biggie or B.I.G. He's an American rapper, very influential. He was gunned down in L.A. in 1997, and they took some old records, and they produced this new record. It was called Born Again. Nissan. Well, anybody remember Dotson? <laughs> I know, I'm showing my age. Dotson got born again. Now they call Nissan, right? So there's this, there's this all kinds of different ideas about being born again. One day while I was working in the correctional facility, I'm a retired correction officer for those who don't know, and um, I like to say I was in prison for 25 years. People go, really? I, yeah, I worked there, but that's okay because <laughs> being there, working there, I could have been either way, really. My, my life was going. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I remember in one of the areas, one of the officers came up to me and said, are you one of those born-again Christians? I said, well, yes, there really are no other kind. And he said, well, you know, I, <laughs> he said, no, I don't think so. That whole term came to be, I'm showing my age again, Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter claimed to be born again, and, and, and everybody went crazy. He's one of those born-again Christians. 
right? So then I took out my pocket Bible, his carry pocket Bible, and I turned to John 3, what we read, and I handed him, I said, read that. And he just stood there, Nicodemus, you must be one again. And he turned it, closed it, handed it to me and said, I don't believe that. I, I said, that's your choice, but Jimmy Carter is not the one who started it. 2,000 years ago, <laughs> Jesus said, you must be born again. That's what Jesus said. Not Jimmy Carter, right? So as we look at this narrative, I want to just look at it under three headings. Okay, the, the encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus, the exchange between the two, and then the explanation is where we'll end up, and we'll, we'll look back at this again next week. So that's where we're at. Number one, the encounter. Look at verse one. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these things or these signs, a miraculous sign, that you do unless God is with you. Notice John. He's given us a clear detail of who came to him. He could have said a man came to Jesus at night, and that would have been true. But he didn't. He said a man came to him. His name is Nicodemus. He is a Pharisee, and he's a ruler of the Jews. Okay, now we automatically, if you read your Bible, if you know anything about the New Testament and the Gospel accounts, you see Pharisee and you got a negative kind of vibe right away. Jesus had a lot of things to say about the Pharisees, and they weren't all that great. But not all Pharisees were hypocrites. hypocrites. Pharisees were a group of religious leaders who had a very, very strong ethic and moral fiber. Okay, they were, they were very ethical. They were, they were kind of this above reproach group. They were very serious about keeping the law of Moses, the Old Testament. They were very serious about keeping the moral code and the conduct of the Jews. They were, can we say, the theological conservatives of their day, a Bible scholar. I, I want you to see that. I want you to feel that. A theological conservative Bible scholar, above reproach moral man. Okay? Not only that, it says he's the ruler of the Jews. NIV, a member of the Jewish council. That's the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin in Jerusalem were made up of 71, 70, 71 men. And the high priest, the temple high priest, was overseeing this ruling body. It's sort of like the Supreme Court and the Congress together. They are the, the power brokers of Israel. Very influential, very powerful, very strong group of people, okay? They're like the, the you know, again, the, the, the ruling body, the power brokers. And you say, well, why is that so important? Well, why is that so important? I think it's extremely important. You see, I think what John is trying to show us in telling us who he was is that your Bible knowledge, how much you know the scriptures, and they say that the Pharisees knew almost the whole Old Testament by heart, that your Bible knowledge, your moral rightness, your your achievements, uh, all your accomplishments, all the power you can wield, all the goodness that you do cannot, it will not get you into the kingdom of God. Not Nicodemus, not you and I. They all add up to zero when it comes to a relationship, a reconciled relationship to God. You can't see, you can't enter the kingdom. And if, again, if you read the four accounts of the gospel, you'll read that the most difficult People to reach with the gospel are not the infamously wicked folks, but rather the outwardly religious. 
There are frequent account, accounts of the moral and the, corru- uh, the corrupt and immoral people coming for salvation. They understood their brokenness, understood their sin, their rebellion towards God, and they plead with Jesus. Not that he can't save all people, but over and over you see these religious crowds, these Bible-thumping people just really opposing Jesus. They just oppose him. They were blind to their own pride and they were blind to their own self-righteousness. There was an arrogance about, an arrogance about them. And look what it says. It says that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Underline that, by night. Some say, well, they came at night because it wasn't really an official Sanhedrin ruling body uh, sentness from, you know, they didn't, he wasn't sent from the ruling body. So he came at night, he wanted to have this private conversation with Jesus, he didn't want crowds around, he just came alone to talk to Jesus. Now I know it says that we, if you look at that, it says we in chapter 2, verse 1, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 1, this man came to, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, but there's no indication that he had anybody with him. Most scholars think he means we is that we've talked about you, we've been talking about you. We saw what you're doing and we've been talking about you. And I'm coming at night because I want to have this conversation with you. Or possibly, I think, um, maybe he's concerned. Maybe he thinks he can slip out the back incognito, come at night, no one knows. I don't want anyone to see me talking to this, 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 this preacher, so I'm going to go at night. Those are two possible interpretations. But let me tell you what I think it's really saying. You see, John has a way to look at the natural and mean something spiritual. He talks about it throughout the gospel according to John. It seems, though, that he came at night is because Nicodemus was in spiritual darkness. To John, the darkness is the realm of error and evil and doubt and unbelief. So, yes, it was at night, but there are a lot of places where John speaks. We saw one last week, but he really means something else. And that Nicodemus is coming to him at night, and it's because he is spiritually blind. That's his condition. He's in dark. He doesn't understand what Jesus is trying to teach him. We'll see in a minute. Dr. D.A. Carson says, Doubtless Nicodemus approached Jesus at night, but his own night was blacker than he knew. But let's say one thing. At least he came. At least he came to Jesus, even in his dark condition, maybe hiding from one else, but he came to Jesus. He sought out Jesus, and he says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher from God. No one can do these things. No one can do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with you. In keeping with Jewish culture, he would, he would approach a rabbi, approach a teacher, and he would say to him nice things. You know, you, you approach him, and it's interesting because Nicodemus, being a ruler, one of the rulers of Jerusalem, was probably, I mean, almost most certainly an older man, older than 30. And here's this older man coming to a young 30-year-old itinerant preacher and calling him rabbi. And that's, what, that's what's happening here. That's what Nicodemus is doing. But Jesus is too smart for that, right? He, he, he says, you know, we see the things that you do, and we know that you are of God. That's as far as he goes. As, obviously, Nicodemus was privy to Jesus' miraculous signs. But being privy to the signs, watching miracles, being amazed by miracles, even saying Jesus did the miracles does not save anyone. Only Jesus does. Only Jesus does. Nicodemus had a lot of religion. Nicodemus had no spiritual life, and he saw the supernatural work of God in his miraculous signs, but he didn't experience the supernatural work of God in himself. We get to number two. 
We see not only the encounter now, but the exchange. Jesus said to him in verse 3, this is the words of Jesus. If you've got a Bible, it's probably read. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, if you're looking at the text, you're wondering, well, Nicodemus really didn't ask a question. He says, I know you're of God. I see the miracles. It wasn't really a question. But there was something behind Nicodemus' words. Why would Jesus answer him with that? Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I think when Nicodemus is coming and talking to Jesus and saying, you are from God, I see the works, I see the miracles, I think behind that question, Jesus knew what he was asking was, are you the one? Are you the one? Are you the prophet? Are you the Messiah? You see, the Old Testament is loaded with, with uh, scripture, upon scripture of this future kingdom, this time in which God would restore his shalom, the Garden of Eden, a new heavens and a new earth. And he says, are you that one? Are you the future promise, the king of Israel? Are you the one that was promised to Abraham, promised to David? Are you that one where the, who will come in and usher in this new kingdom? Are you that guy? See, all the Jews believe that. We believe it today. And Nicodemus is saying, tell us, Lord, when are you going to bring in the kingdom reign? When are you going to rule? When are you going to sit on the throne of your father David? They all waited for that. And now Nicodemus is saying, I see what's going on. Are you the one? We know. We know that you could never do those miraculous unless God is with you. It was their hope. But Jesus says to them very clearly, your eyes are closed. The only way you will be able to see this coming kingdom is through having new eyes, being born anew. And Jesus says to him, you must be born again. Do you want to see the kingdom ushered in? You must be born again. Nicodemus, I don't care how much religion you have. I don't care how much Bible you have. What's most important is, will you be there? Will you get in? You know, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes out of the wilderness and he begins to preach and he says, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand. You know the story? Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God. The king is here. I'm ushering in the kingdom. And Nicodemus thinks he can see, but he really doesn't see. And what's he want to know, and Jesus makes it clear to him, is if you want to see the kingdom, if you want to understand who the king really is, you must be born again. You can't even enter into the kingdom. You must be born again. The kingdom of God is not just the realm in which the king reigns. The kingdom of God, first and foremost, is about the king. His sovereign reign, his sovereign rule. And Nicodemus is seeing these miracles. He knows the Old Testament. He sees it and he's like, are you the one? This miraculous sign was preceding uh, this coming kingdom. And he asks Jesus, are you that king? Are you that king? Are you one that will usher in the new heavens and the new earth? Are you the one? We see the works. Are you the one? Look at verse 3. Can I see the kingdom unless you're born again? Verse 5, you cannot enter the kingdom. Kind of same thing of God without being born again. So I know you see, but the truth is, Nicodemus, what you don't see is what you need to see. You really don't see a thing. I know you see the signs, but your morality and your, your work and yourselves will not get you into the kingdom. You must be born again. That's what Jesus says. Right? Look at the word unless in that passage. He says it several times. Verse 3, unless. Verse 5, unless. Verse 7, emphatically, you must be born again. 
You know what the word unless is? It's conditional. In other words, without air, you're going to die. Unless you have air, you will die. Unless you have food, you're going to die. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. No God, no Christianity, you must be born again. He says it three times in a matter of seconds, so he's trying to tell us something. You getting it? He's like, are you getting a Nicodemus? You must be born again. Unless you must be born again. Unless you're born again. Unless you're born again. You can't enter. You can't see the kingdom. You must be born again. I mean, you don't need a Bible scholar to understand he's trying to tell us something. And you may be like, well, what does that really mean? Look at verse 4. Nicodemus says to him, how could a man be born when he is old? Is he to climb back into his mother's womb and be born? Now, I used to read that text and go, and is he like crazy? But as I'm reading that and I'm studying it, I'm thinking, he's not crazy. That's not really a legit question. He's trying to say, listen, what are we supposed to do? Climb back in? No, that's not possible. He understands metaphors. The question is more likely that he's saying to Jesus, how are we going to start over again? Are we to climb back in our mother's womb? I mean, how are you? You're promising this born again, this newness of life. We've already been born. How are we to have a start over you know, how are we to, to, to be able to go back to the beginning? Come on, Jesus, Nicodemus says, you promise a lot. But really, promising a new life, starting over, climb back in your mother's womb? John MacArthur writes, Jesus was telling him that entrance to God's salvation was not a matter of, of adding something to his efforts, nor topping off his religious devotion, but rather canceling everything and starting all over again. Do you see that? That's why the question. By calling Nicodemus to be born again, Jesus is challenging him. He's challenging you. He's challenging me to admit that we are spiritually bankrupt. He, Nicodemus, was incapable of doing this on his own. He, like us, are to forsake everything that we put our trust in for our salvation other than Jesus Christ. Now, that's what it means to be born anew. I have, in my backyard, I have a Concord grapevine. Okay, in the back in the corner. And guess what it produces? Concord grapes. Very smart. Very good. No shock there. But if I was tired of eating Concord grapes and I wanted to start eating apples, I can till the soil under the grapevines. I can fertilize it. I, I could, you know, take care of it well, pull all the weeds and all that. I can even prune it, but I'm still going to have... Grapes, very good. If you want new fruit, you got to do what? Get new roots. Sometimes we get into this place of needing change, of needing a a, a, a new strength. And and we think, you know what? I need to make some personal change. I need to to change what I'm doing. or, Or maybe some religion will help me. But I tell you, like Nicodemus, morally religious people like Nicodemus seek to be their own lords, their own savior through religious pride. I am more spiritual than that person. I am more moral than them. In fact, I'm so good, God, you owe me. I pray, you listen. I pray and you do as I ask. I've earned it. And religious people, those who are trusting in their own moral fiber, their own moral behavior, they live life, if I obey, if I listen, if I, if I do what God is, tells me, then I'm accepted. And then I am loved, I am forgiven, I have value, dignity, I'm worth something. I just have to obey. That's religion. They seek to 
to justify themselves, to have a sense of meaning and a sense of belonging, a sense of acceptance through their work, through their moral behavior, through whatever it is. That's not what Jesus is saying. You see, when we do that, what we're really doing is not getting done and digging deep, tearing out the roots. All we're doing is, is cutting back the vines and tilling the soil. It's not enough. Some people spend their whole life just going back to the drawing board and keep trying and keep trying and keep trying and always coming up empty. They fail their own record or they keep their record and they look down on everybody else because they're not keeping their record. And that's what Nicodemus tells Nicodemus, look, you need help. You need start over. You need new birth. Dr. Timothy Keller of New York City pastor says the action of God in which his Holy Spirit that means his this means his very life and strength and power is implanted in the base of your heart that's what it means to be born again so that the root of your heart is transformed there that seed germinates and produces fruit and produces blossoms and flowers that only a supernatural seed can do end quote religion is I do what God tells me I follow his ways and then I'm loved, I'm accepted, I am forgiven. The gospel is, and what it's trying to show Nicodemus, is a gift of God. It is not obey and be accepted and loved. It is receive the good news as a gift, and then in the gospel, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, dying in your place, where you ought to go, he went. He dies in your place, pays for your sins, and because of that, you obey. Religion is, I obey, he loves me. The gospel is, he loves me. He accepts me. He receives me. He gives me value and dignity and worth and meaning and forgives me of my sins. And out of that, I obey him. There's a big difference, family. There's a big difference with obeying, working really hard so that you're accepted and being accepted and then working. There's a huge difference. One's religion, one is the gospel. When you understand that you are totally accepted and wonderfully loved, and therefore you obey, it becomes very different. Now, in our text, the way we can see that it is the work of God, in our text, look at the word that says born again, verse 7 again. That word again, there's two words in the Greek that mean again. One has to do with, with repetition, again, doing it again. The other one has to do with not only repetition, but it implies much more, okay? Two different words. I'll give you an example. Pastor Ricky played the drums today. Guy does a great job, unbelievable. Now, Pastor Ricky did a little riff on there, and you're like, yo, that was really cool, do it again. And I'm like, all right, you know what, I'll do it. I could never do it, but if I could, and I said to Ricky, you know what, I'll play the riff, and I do the exact same riff, I've done it again. You wanted the riff, he did it the first time, I did it the second time, that's one Greek word. The other Greek word that's used is if you say, I wanna see that riff again, Sit down, Pastor Lou. <laughs> uh, we're going to let Ricky do it. He does it again, same source. You see that? And that's the word here, born again, same source. It was God who gave you natural life, and it is God alone that can give you spiritual life. That's what it means by being born again. It is the internal revolutionary change of the heart where God implants his spirit, his DNA in us. That's what it means to be born again. Peter says we are partakers of God's divine nature. Now, we don't become little gods, but God's spirit is dwelling within us. And therefore, salvation can take place when we are born again. We have a new birth. It's a supernatural birth of God. That's what he means by being born again. He says it over and over in this text. Now, let me just, let me just give you a word of caution if I can. Some of you 
are here this morning. You claim to be Christians, but yet there's no spiritual life in you, and you know it. You know that you're really not interested in the glory of God, the treasuring of Christ. You're really not interested in what God has for you in your life. You're really not interested in following him. You're here simply because, or you go to church simply because it's the moral right thing to do. I'm sorry to tell you, but I tell you this in love. In the end, it's separation from God and hell. That's what the scriptures teach. You need to turn from your sins and truly trust Jesus. Lay down your life. Follow him. Repent of your sins. And be serious with God. And God will forgive you. God will cleanse you. God will give you his spirit to those who truly repent of their sins and walk with him. Some of you, though, are here and you've never heard the term born again. And you kind of looked at that term and said, I don't like that. That's for those people. But there is spiritual life in you. You know that you've changed. You know that God is dwelling within you. You have a desire and appetite for his glory. You have a desire to worship him. You come expecting God to meet with you. You're walking with Jesus. You're confessing and repenting of your sins. You just don't use that term. Okay, that's what, that's what Jesus is saying. If you have spiritual life, you've been born again. If you're playing moralistic religious games, there is no spiritual life, and you know it. And you know it. And that's my fear. That's my fear. 27 years ago, this past August, I cried out to God. Outside Sing Sing Penitentiary. Some of you know where that is. I was a drug addict. I was addicted to cocaine, mainlining cocaine, 1987. And I cried out to God, help me. That's all I said. I don't know if you exist. Help me. And that day something began to change. My heart began to change. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand what was going on, but I got up and for the first time in my life I had hope. I made a phone call to a friend of mine who was a Christian. He said, I'm coming to get you. That was a Wednesday. Three days later, that Saturday, he opened up his Bible to explain to me that God loves everyone. I was, walked, I was barely understanding scripture. I told him that God doesn't love anyone. He said, you don't know what you're talking about. And I didn't. So he opened up his Bible and showed me John 3.16. For God so loved the world. But I, after understanding and him gently rebuking me of truth, that God does love everyone, um, I started reading about Nicodemus. I'll never forget the day. And I read about Nicodemus about being born new. And I looked at him and he looked at me and I said, so what you're telling me is God's working and his spirit is in me. And now I've been born anew and that's where the changes are taking place in my life. It's not me, it's God. And he just looked at me. I looked at him. We're both thinking the same thing. How the heck did you find that out? You know what I mean? It was, just, it was a spiritual thing. And I just began to cry. I began to weep. I knew God was working in my heart. Now some of you have not had that major you know, issue of drugs, but there's been a change. God's life is living in you, and you know it. You sin like I sin, but there's conviction of sin. There's a life of God. There's the glory of God in which we are seeking after the treasure of Jesus. We're constantly repenting and tearing down idols in our lives. That's the life that God has in you. It is the new birth. The new birth unites us with Christ. That's what this baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. It unites us. I'm alive with, you know, I'm with Jesus on the cross, in the ground. He died for my sins. Out of the ground, he rose, I'll rise. That's what baptism is all about. It's a picture of the spiritual truth that has taken place in your life. You're dead in Christ. You're alive in Christ. Into the ground you went, and up from the grave you grows. New life. That's what being born again means. This John tells us in 1 John, the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Number three and finally, the explanation. Okay, look at that with me, verse five. 
Truly I say to you, here we go again, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I didn't say that Jesus did. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you, ye must be born again. Now, we're going to get into this a little more next week because there's, there's, there's two ways to interpret this passage, whether it's born naturally with your mom, the water breaks, out you come, and then born of the Spirit, there's a physical birth, there's a natural birth, excuse me, there's a physical birth, there's a spiritual birth. That's what some people interpret this passage. All right, verse 5, verse 6, you know, truly I say, born of water, verse 6, born of flesh and born of spirit. So there's this, Jesus is saying, you need to be born from your mother. The water breaks, born of the water and of the spirit, born anew. And then verse 6, that which is born of the flesh, your natural birth, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That's what some people interpret. I'm not sure that's right. The words water and spirit in verse 5 is a Greek phrase where there's no definite article. I'm not going to get into that, but the point that I want to make is water and spirit are, the, are equal. They're linked together. It's not two separate things. Water and spirit is one thing that has to do with being born again. So one is born of the water, one is born of the spirit. It is this birth, this new birth, this, this pouring out of the spirit, it's this new DNA in you, and it's water and in spirit. Both those point to being born again. Jesus turns to him in chapter 9 and 10, chapter 3, verse 9. Nicodemus, he says, you, you don't know this? You should know better. You see that? Do I have it on the screen? Let me see. I think I have it the next one. Okay, yeah, verse 9. And he's speaking of this water, this spirit, and this flesh is flesh, and water is, you know, all this. He's like, Nicodemus, you're an Old Testament professor, a scholar. You can't understand this? Now, where would Nicodemus find this information? Nicodemus, you don't know this? You know your Old Testament Bible. In fact, you know almost every verse by heart, possibly every verse by heart. And you don't understand born of water and born of the Spirit? You don't understand that? You don't understand that being born again is of water and the Spirit? You should know better, Nicodemus. That's what he's saying. You know why? Because many times in the Old Testament, when God points to this new birth, this new covenant, this new life, he speaks about water and Spirit. And I have that verse for you today. You don't have to look it up. There's many, but I'm gonna look at one. Look what it says to Ezekiel. 6,000 years before Jesus meets Nicodemus, 6,000 years, God promises Israel a restoration, a new covenant. Over and over in the Bible, he mentions new covenant, new restoration, new spirit. Look what he says. Ezekiel, 6th century before Jesus. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land. Old Testament covenant. I will sprinkle clean water on you. New Testament. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. See that? I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. You will be away from your idols. I'll cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's, that's from a stone that's just hard and a flesh which is soft. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and carefully obey my rules. Nicodemus, don't you know that? I promised in the new covenant, I promised that I would give you a new heart. I promised that the spirit would come and make you clean and wash you through the blood of Jesus. I promised this. Nicodemus, you should know better. You should know better when I say born again in water and spirit. I spoke to the Old Testament prophets. You should know better. It was that passage 
that Jesus was showing that the new birth is in the Old Testament, promised to Nicodemus that would come true in the new covenant. This passage is what Jesus is pointing to. Without the spiritual washing of the soul, a cleansing accomplished through the renewal of the Holy Spirit, through the gospel, through the word, one cannot, will not, enter the kingdom of God. I plead with you this morning to hear the words of Jesus. There was a preacher, his name is George Wetfield, some of you know, 18th century, was, was instrumentally used in the Great Awakening both in Britain and the good old USA. He used to preach to thousands, sometimes 20,000 people, no microphone. Right, 18th century, no microphone, 20,000 people. And most of the time, well, I don't know how many, but a lot, he would preach from John 3 and tell everybody, ye must be born again. You must be born again. And finally, somebody keeps hearing him all the time. He said, George, listen, uh, Mr. Whitfield, why do you keep saying the same thing? You must be born again. He looked at him and he said, because you must be born again. <laughs> so I ask you this morning, Are you born anew? Does God's spirit dwell within you? Have you been born from above? Jesus said, without it, you cannot, you will not enter or see the kingdom of God. If you haven't ever truly repented of your sins and completely given your life over to Jesus Christ today, I implore you, do so. Confess your sin, your bankruptcy, your spiritual bankruptcy Stop relying and justifying on your own goodness, your own morality, or even your irreligion. Doing things your own way, wanting to be your own God, your own Savior. You can't save yourself. You can't justify yourself. Only Jesus can. And he did that by dying on the cross, paying the payment for your sins. He did that as a substitute, as he sacrificed himself on the cross. Where you belong, he went. He lived the life you could never live, a perfect life. He died the death you should have died. I should have died in our place for our sins. And when you place your trust, when you lay down your sword, you bow your knee to him, the Bible says he will come into your life and he will cause you, he will cause you to be born again. Luke chapter 11. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? The answer, none. Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? The answer is none. If you then, who are evil, we're all sinners, we've all fallen short of God's glory. You then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Family, it's through the gospel. It is through the gospel. Have you trusted in Christ? Have you repented of your sins and received life in His name? I pray, and we're going to pray, that you do so. That today's the day of saying I'm done playing games. I have no spiritual life. And now I'm done running my own life. You know the old saying, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Turn to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Worship Jesus. He's the one true God who died and rose so that you can have life in his name. The band's going to play. And I want everyone just to stay seated for a minute or so. Put a curtain around your heart and talk to Jesus. Confess your sins, repent, it means to turn from your sins and invite him into your life and he will grant you the spirit to empower you and to transform you from the inside out. Father, thank you for this time that we can spend together. 
Thank you, Father, for the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the rescuing mission of Jesus. Thank you that he died. Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice, your death, your burial, your resurrection. Thank you, Father, that you call us to faith in him. And all those who do, you will grant new life. It is your work. So we pray right now, Spirit of God, come. Do work in our heart. Pray, we pray, that you would have your way with us. Help us, enable us to see our sins and to see the glory, the worth, the value, the incalculable value of Jesus Christ and all that he has done. And Father, we pray as we sing and worship you, you would take center stage of our hearts and our lives. You alone can give life, we pray.